Hello, Marvelites who are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale June 21st, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for mellifluous, which is a new word I learned after reading this week's comics. Oh, I think I'd look that one up too. It's one of the many things I love about comics. Sometimes it uh, makes you want to learn and it teaches you things about words and it's wonderful i did that having a dictionary around when i was reading comics as a kid was super helpful i just use my phone you kids have it easy today back in my day blah 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 we are here to talk about comics because this is the official marvel podcast for marvel comics where we give you details reasons to check out every new comic every week we'll tell you our three personal picks of the week then for the rest of all the other books we'll tell you about uh, all those coming out we'll give you some fun non-spoilery reasons to check them out and hand out some awards named after a quote pulled from one of this week's releases. Plus, we'll run through the new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights from issues new to Marvel Unlimited this week, and some picks of collections and more. On top of all that, we got a great guest and a reading club. What's going on? Yes, we are going to be talking to Marika Nykamp about a Marvel Infinity comic that they wrote for us over on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, They wrote Love Unlimited Vivision issues number 7 through 12. We're going to be talking to them about that. So good. I love it. It's delightful. We're going to get into that later, but right now, get into our picks of the week, starting with Incredible Hulk number one. This is a big one. This is a New Hulk series written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Nick Klein, colors by Matthew Wilson, and lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, also at the top, got to say, some stellar variants for this issue. Patrick Gleason has some really cool stuff that he does. We have a Dave Marquez variant, which makes me very happy. George Perez variant pulled from his archives. So some really cool stuff to, uh, to, to help get you in the door. The green door if you will, because one of the things about this that I really dig is that Philip and Nick and the team, they're pulling from the history of Hulk. They are sort of recognizing what has come before, particularly the two most recent Hulk series, Hulk that was by Donny Cates and Ryan Otley and Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing and crew. And so it takes sort of leads from the recent Hulk series about the relationship between Banner and and Hulk and how Banner basically caged, imprisoned, and tortured the Hulk persona for a, jerk. a while. Yeah, kind of a jerk move. And let's just say Hulk is not pleased about all that. And then on the immortal Hulk side of things, thinking about all the green door stuff, the the sort of the monster, the horror, the body horror, uh, the overall mythos and if you have those foundations on top of obviously so much more, um, that's where Philip and Nick really jump off of. And man, it rules. It's, it's, this is a horror book. Like they are straight into monsters and horror and you better be ready for it. Cause like there's this opening scene with these, um, like, uh, tomb raiders, if you will. And they're going through, trying to find some stuff and they find this thing and one of them touches this artifact and then is infected right oh it's i wasn't sure what you were talking about it just the image just came to my head ew it is gnarly as hell it is like nick klein rolling up his sleeves 
just drawing some incredible monsters. But the, there's a moment where a character's head just turns all the way around. And then like the sound effects. And the character just says, the green door is shut. This is the tone that we got for this book. And I am here for it. The monsters look gnarly. And the way they like come out of things, uh, it's it's something you're going to see in this book. Like, it's not just like, ooh, I turned into a monster, poof. It is like how something 15 feet tall and messed up, evil, malevolent, and ancient will come out of a five and a you know, five foot ten body. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? And you explore that here, and there's rending and ripping and snarling, and rah, the sound effects are really gross and amazing, beautiful, awful awful stuff uh, i gotta give shout out to matthew wilson those watercolors like the, there's like a watercolor vibe a texture to the art that is so good uh our banner in here is like long greasy hair he's disheveled he is feeling the effects of pissing off the hulk and the hulk is is basically like in a in a in a mode of just like being angry at banner at everything else and like fully embracing that monster vibe. Uh, there's a young girl in here named Charlene, who I think probably will, will factor into the story a little bit. Her story is uh, upsetting and I, a little bit of hope, but at the same time, she does run across the, the Hulk at one point. So big shrug where that will lead. Um, there's a conversation that happens where like banner is trying to, to like calm things down and stop things. And the change is starting to happen. And the the dialogue is so good. It's so simple, but it's so well executed. It's too late. He's here. And like you could feel like if it was a movie, the all the sound would drop out. It would be intense. It would be like this quiet thing. And then everything erupts. And it's really well done. It's well paced, well executed, explosive, big. The transformation stuff, again, I can't stress it enough, is awful in the best way possible. I talked to Philip and Nick for this week in Marvel recently to talk about this book and this, what they're doing here. And I am very excited for the nastiness that they are about to unleash on the Marvel universe. I, like this is how you do a first issue. It re, it's it, That is a well put way to explain. Like this is how you do it. This is my, probably my favorite thing. Philip Kennedy Johnson has written my favorite book that Nick Klein has drawn, which is saying a lot because he's been crushing it uh, as a Stormbreaker, especially mm-hmm. over the last couple months. So lots of really exciting stuff in this. Yes. Speaking of lots of exciting stuff and people who are killing it, next up is my first pick of the week, which is Scarlet Witch Annual Issue Number 1. It is the beginning of the Contest of Chaos. Um, it is written by Steve Orlando and art by Carlos Nieto. Colors by Triona Farrell and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. Now, what I was trying to say is Carlos Nieto. Oh, my God. Came in swinging. Wow. Just absolutely gorgeous and stunning art. Like for someone who's like following in the footsteps of Sarah Bakelli and Mm -hmm. Russell Dodderman in this Mm -hmm. run, like for him to just come in and go, all right, that's cool. Uh, Hold my beer. And then just like absolutely crushed this issue like i there's not a single page in this book that doesn't shine and i could not give this man more praises for this his work but like what we get here in this issue is if you've you know 
come to Scarlet Witch. Maybe you're a new comic book reader and you're wondering, hey, where's Agatha Harkness? I thought she was a major player in the Scarlet Witch's world. She is. And we haven't seen her in the first five issues, but here she is. And she gets her own like massive story here. If you remember from the Darkhold miniseries that uh, we talked to Steve Orlando about in a, in a previous reading club, uh, in that Scarlet Witch trapped Cathan inside of her and she's holding him and the true Darkhold within herself. And she's pretty much overcome that. But here comes Agatha Harkness going... I don't know if you can do that. Like, I'm your mentor. I'm stronger than you. Therefore, I should be the one who handles this. And she's like, no, you taught me well. Like, I got this. I got it all under control. And she's like, mm, do you, though? And they proceed to fight uh, because Agatha just doesn't believe her. Agatha doesn't <laughs> trust her. And what I love about this story is it's a story about a mentor and a mentee. And something that often happens a lot of the time is mentors tend to not necessarily let their mentee work or they don't give them the room to work. And there's a level of trust there, right? Like there's a level yeah. of trust that needs to be built between the two. And what ends up happening is when something big comes on the mentee's plate, the mentor might get a little nervous because they know that like, you know, they've seen them at their lowest and like they want the best for them, but there's a level of concern there. And so what this fight really is about is about that. It's not necessarily about Cathan. It's about this relationship and how far they've come. And Scarlet Witch really just asserting herself and being like, look, you taught me. I learned from the best. Uh, and therefore, you should trust me here. So that's really what's going on in this issue. And I love that. I love the story that Steve Orlando is telling here because it is not necessarily a one-sided fight. Like, there are two sides to this that, that are very valid thoughts, like school of thoughts. Like, Scarlet Witch has a, a pretty troubled history. Agatha Harkness can be considered, a, a, you know, someone who's been doing this a lot longer, maybe even better than her. But when they fight, Scarlet Witch gets to prove herself. And what we see is this incredible, like, multidimensional, like, just fist fight. And we get to see some of the, like, this is like Steve Orlando just pulling some of the weird, like, wild card, like, deep pulls from his reading. Like, you can just see it. Like, we talked about this when he was doing any of the X-Men books. You can tell he's got a lot of fandom for the Marvel Universe. Some of the universes that we get are the Black Seas of the Inner Plane. But then there's also the Superflow, which uh, is where, you know, the Astral Plane exists or like the Dream Dimension. It's also like the place that like mm -hmm. uh, Sleepwalker and Sumnus like have both visited and are frequent there. You even get a little cameo from both of those people. Uh, the Land of Legends, which I thought was an amazing pull. I haven't seen this since yeah. Captain America. Uh, and in it, it's essentially the dimension where, like, all of American, like, folklore lives. So, like, Johnny Appleseed. Uh, we got... It's Paul Bunyan and Uncle Sam hanging out. Just, like, having <laughs> having coffee. Uh, I thought that was yeah. great. Uh, the Megaverse. We get the Living Tribunal. There's so much here going on. Some some even from, like, previous Scarlet Witch uh, runs. And, again, it's just these two creatives just flexing. Not only with the high caliber of the art that they're producing, but also just like the deep love of the Marvel universe. And by the end of the story, we get some, some crazy like twists. Uh, we get a little bit of a reveal and it's sure to launch into the contest of chaos uh, starring Agatha Harkness in the fall. So exciting stuff there. Yeah. Uh, 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Another book I love is Ultimate Invasion number one. This is the big one. Everybody get ready for widescreen Brian Hitch action in here. It is uh, penciled by Brian Hitch, written by Jonathan Hickman, inked by Andrew Curry, colored by Alex Sinclair, and lettered by BC's Joe Caramagna. This is going to surprise a lot of people. I read, I've read the first two issues at this point, and I was like, Oh, like big, like what? So I'm very excited for everybody to start in on this one. We are setting up a new line of ultimate comics, a new universe. So what does that mean? How do we do that? So the the premise in this issue is really like getting us kicked off into how could we do that? What would make sense? And Jonathan Hickman has a lot of experience with ultimate comics, with ultimate characters, particularly evil reach richards uh, aka the maker who like jonathan did a ton of work with and so we we are focused on the maker uh here there's a lot of like little fun nods the door code that keeps yeah. uh that that keeps uh, the maker imprisoned because he's being held here but like you don't really hold him and like the heist the plan here is so good, so much fun. We got great banter between the Mercs. You know, I, I think Jonathan gets a lot of credit, rightfully so, for being cool, big ideas, interesting, weird, superhero, fun stuff. But like, I want to emphasize, he does fun really well. He does dialogue really well. He does character stuff really well. So you're getting a lot of big, cool ideas from Jonathan with also lots of great character stuff and funny moments. And then you get Brian Hitch to draw the ever loving hell out of it. Yes. And like, you're talking about the character work and some of my favorite, uh, Jonathan Hickman, like character work is the stuff that he's done with Reed Richards Mm -hmm. and black Panther T'Challa, uh, together. Um, and that happened in his fantastic four run and it's only like two or three issues, but easily some of the best black Panther I've ever read. And he, he brought them both back here at the, at the top. And I was so pumped. I was like, yes, we're getting this. Like, I love and it, it. The two of them talking and like, Reed's like, I needed my old friend and blah, blah, blah. And T'Challa's like, Reed, you could have done this. Yeah. And Reed's like, yeah, but I'm kind of in a rule following phase. And T'Challa's <laughs> like, so how's that working out for you? And Reed's like, not well. I don't want to talk <laughs> was, about it. Yeah, it was so good. Uh, but Maker here is very sneaky, very manipulative, which makes him very scary. Like we're seeing him doing things and not being like an overt like punch guy because that's not what he needs to be. That's not what he is. He is far scarier being this incredible sneaky manipulator so much so that it requires the Illuminati to get back together, to meet, to to talk about it, which is so fun. Uh, this immediately made me want to go reread Secret Wars yes. um, because, you know, Maker has a part in that. And it was the death of the ultimate universe and the sort of rebirth of everything else. But that plays into this because Maker basically is just like, I want my universe back, kind of. And so he goes to Miles. He's like, Miles. We're, we're brothers, right? And Miles is like, what? Literally, he's like, what? And Maker's like, come on. You know, you felt it. You're not from here. And he's like, and Miles is like, well, yeah. You didn't know that? Yeah. Like, you just found you that out? That? Yeah. Like, you've been here for a while. You get it. And and Maker's like, all right, well, I'm going to go back there. Come with me. Uh, I'm offering you this invitation. You're welcome to come with me to go back to your, your universe. And he's like, Nah, I'm good. Which I love that moment for Miles. It's, again, really good character stuff that gives you a lot of blurred lines and a lot of nuance to who these characters are, particularly Maker. And 
even still, there's big explosions and wild stuff. The Illuminati is like, we got to stop this. <laughs> At the same time, I'm I'm thinking like, dude, do you? Like, and Maker's like, he's going do home. you? Yeah, he's, yeah. Let him go home. Even the Maker read 616 relationship uh, is really good. I won't spoil their conversation and the moments there because I feel like we're going to, that, that feels like we'll play into that more. But Maker is basically like, peace, see you later. I've got work to do. And he goes and he does the damn work. Uh, there's a beautiful, breathtaking splash page of the Illuminati, which is so good. That's nearly the end of the issue. But then you get an epilogue. And we, we ain't going to say oh a damn my thing. God. But it, I will say this. It plays into issue two and issue two is off and running based on everything that comes in here. I gasped at a moment in issue two. Send me issue two. I will send you issue two. So it's a four issue limited series. That's about 150 pages long. And I am loving it. The last thing I wanted to add to this is you were talking about like wanting to go back and reread secret wars. I'm taking it a step further only because we've all, I already told you, I read the first 13 issues of ultimate spider-man which uh-huh. is the beginning of the ultimate universe and i've taken it on myself to just do oh, a boy. full reread right now i'm on daredevil and electra uh ultimate daredevil and electra so have you read ultimate marvel team up no i haven't that yet. was early no so the so the first 13 issues of spider-man were the first 13 that were published and then it starts getting into the daredevil and electra of it all and then it keeps going uh it gets a little bit more Disper- I'm looking at it right now. Like it's a little bit more dispersed later yeah, on. Yeah, Ultimate X Men was pretty early. Yes, but um, it's it's a hefty read. But I'm like, you know what? Yeah. This will be my summer like project. It was gonna be X Men from the beginning, but now I'm like, that can wait another year. That's got to be a good like six seven hundred issues, all told. I enjoy hearing updates about all of I this. Will. Um, I almost started rereading all of Ultimates because I have the oh, omnibus. I already did that. I did that already. Um, yeah, I have the omnibus digitally, and I was flipping through because I wanted to look. I wanted to look at the eight-page spread that Brian did for Ultimates Two, Number Thirteen, oh which will forever be like one of my favorite things ever made in comics. Also, want to shout out Cody Ziegler's uh, Reading Club, where we we covered the Ultimates. That got me to read all of the Ultimates. Ah, yeah. So, highly recommend you listen to that if you're interested in the Ultimate Universe. Oh, so good. Read it all and get excited and free your mind for what is to come in Ultimate Invasion. It's going to get weird. And the future of the Ultimate Universe, because there's going to be more. I'm so excited. excited. This this pumped me up. Like, it's been a while since we got something like this. Hell yeah. Oh, you. I sent you number two. I I can't. You're going to slack me later today. Be like, what, what, what? And then we'll talk about it. That's if I don't finish reading it while we record this. I know. All right. Refocus. Uh, (laughs) We've got to get into our award and community section. What was last week's award? All right. So last week, we gave out the Hard to Win a Chess Game with the Chainsaw Award. And it came from Wolverine, issue number 34. And our winner this week is Taylor Jones. Believe this might be the first time we've heard from Taylor. And Taylor writes in an email saying... 
I listen to you both every week, but since I live in Seattle, I always assume I'll be too late to win. But when I saw the quote about chess and chainsaws and Wolverine, I had to reach out. I am so in love with the friendship between Jeff Bannister and Logan, so I can't wait to see what happens next. I'd love to shout out my local comic book store in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle, Grumpy Old Man Comics. He's not actually grumpy, but he is a little old. He always has great recommendations and an excellent selection. Thanks for making such a great show. And thank you, Taylor. And shout out to Grumpy Old Man Comics. That's a got to put that on the list of places to visit when I go to Seattle, whenever I get to go back. I've only been once. All right. What is this week's award name? It is the Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award. (laughs) Good advice. Good advice. Very good advice. And if you find that quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and that Jasmius with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull at Marvel.com. If you're the first, I'll reach out to you, get you a recent digital comic of your choice, and please mark your messages as okay to read pull list so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. Yes. But if you're not the first to win, uh, there's another chance to win. We've teamed up with Marvel Insider to score some Marvel Insider points just for listening to the podcast. So after you listen, head over to marvel.com slash insider and look for the Marvel's pull list quote of the week activity. There you'll have to identify the correct quote from a choice of four different ones. Once you choose the right one, you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. Super easy. Yeah. All right, let's get into the rest of our books this week and give out that wonderful, wonderful award again it is never let your doctor date your ex and we are going to start with avengers number two a big shout out Stuart eminen beautiful classic straightforward cover with the team looking fierce at us and carol being amazing and then the big kang framing it all is just it's just something about it it's just so so good uh there's a lot of cool moments in here this one is a solid second issue giving the avengers lots to do setting up more mystery stuff teasing the big scary stuff i will give my never let your doctor date your ex award to sam wilson aka captain america saving lives by simply putting a hand on a shoulder and talking to someone and promising to drive a truck it is such great character stuff and reminds us why sam is one of the flipping best all right Next up is Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, issue number five. Uh, and this is a heist. This is essentially Betsy's nine for all intents and purposes. And you get a breakdown of all the characters that she's going to bring into this heist. They're going to break into Morgan Le Fay's castle and obviously doesn't go off without a hitch. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in this issue. A big reveal, a huge, huge, huge component of this is Fiza, a.k.a. Excalibur, which I thought was a really cool way to bring her in. Uh, in this series, and I'm going to go ahead and give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to the last couple of pages, which gives us a lot of, like, looks. One of the things that I've loved about this book is Betsy Braddock's fashion, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the artist on the book, and so for that, I'm going to give them my award. Yeah. We've got Bloodline, Daughter of Blade, number five this week. This wraps up this uh, series, really setting up who Bloodline is and, and thrusting her into the Marvel Universe. Uh, so I will give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex award to the father-daughter sword swing team-up moment in here, which I was like, oh, <laughs> in a very violent way. All right. Next up, we have Call of Carnage Misery, issue number two. I could give my award to the symbiote monkey in this issue, but I'm going to give it to a moment where Misery decides to jump out of a building and tries to web sling, goes, 
I see Spider-Man do this all the time. It can't be that hard, right? And then as she swings, she slams into a building and absolutely just goes like, like she <laughs> has, so it was so funny. She turned into a giant wall puddle. And for that, they get my award. But she's like, oh, that's, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> that's so good. Uh, on to Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider number two. This is a throwback series set back in the 90s where Danny Ketch was still relatively new as Ghost Rider. Uh, it does have a main cover with a throwback corner box that says approved by the Marvel Comics Authority, which I really dug that. But I'm going to give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex award to Ghost Rider destroying some Klansmen. Give me more of that, please. Yes. All right, next up is Edge of Spider-Verse, issue number three. Inside this issue, we get two stories. The first story is a Spider-Boy story. We get a little bit more background uh, on the character. Uh, lots of big reveals. I'm not going to get into that one too much, but I'm going to talk about the second story instead. I'm going to go ahead and give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to the team-up that we get here between Miles Morales' younger sister, Billy, who is now the spider smasher of her universe, uh, and La Gata Negra, who is the black hat of this universe, who is also Dominican. And I love that. Dominicana, I should say. <laughs> uh, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy issue number three out this week. And I want to give my award to Drax hating on all the fancy Spartois people, but I will give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to the end of the issue with Star-Lord just unleashing his anger and frustration through his abilities. We don't get to see Star-Lord be like the master of the sun all the time, but there's a double page splash in here, which friggin' rule. All right, next up we have Hollow's Eve issue number four. And my favorite gag that's been going on in the series is that Maxine Danger's uh, nose keeps getting damaged in all the funniest ways. And in this issue, I think she breaks it like three more times. Um, and for that, I'm going to give Erica Schultz my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award. Yeah. Hellcat number four is out this week. I want to give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to the way Alex Lins draws Damon Hellstrom and Blackheart. Like big, shirtless horrible sexy damon hellstrom and the black heart is this like curled over scary hulking thing Ugh, looks great yes um you weren't a fan of the the bunny version of daniel hellstrom? I mean, the bunny the bunny is uh, is terrific but uh, i like it's not I your like thing full full damon gotcha all right, next up is I Am Iron Man, issue number four. I could do an entire episode of Pull List on this issue alone yeah. because I adored it. It could have been my pick of the week. It takes place during my absolute favorite era of Iron Man, which is the era that Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca uh, worked on the character. Uh, he was the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. In, the, in that book. And so there was a lot of conflicts between him and the rest of the Avengers and the rest of the Marvel Universe. And Dotun and... And Meruwa talks about it at the end of this book, uh, which I highly recommend you read. But the thing I'm going to give my award for is this is something that I've been waiting for the entire series since we first talked to Doton and Meruwa about this book. Um, and it's the team up between Doctor Strange and Iron Man that happens in this issue. Uh, if you want to know more about that relationship and why it's so special to Doton and Meruwa, head back to our reading club where we did the Doctor Strange reading club. Highly recommend it. Goatee Brothers for Life. This is a great issue. I don't remember if in that run of Iron Man there were the Dexter's Laboratory references, but I saw them in this issue and I was I was all about it. We see you, boys. 
We see it. Uh, it was a really great issue. Could have been one of our picks of the week, as could have been Miles Morales, Spider-Man number seven. This is the penultimate chapter of Carnage Reigns and my favorite of the entire crossover. Uh, Federico Vicentini is on it in here. There's some like really cool offbeat paneling uh, that is that reminds me of Adam Kubert. Some great facial acting, excellent creepy stuff with Carnage. Cody Ziegler's dialogue and pacing is so good. The stuff with Electro and Taskmaster. Carnage being scary as hell. Oh, there's so much good stuff. But I will give my never let your doctor date your ex to the new fit. That Miles gets at the end of the issue. It's a new, uh, a new costume, a new Whoa. suit. You're giving it to that costume, not the other costume in this issue. Which was the oh oh yeah sorry so there you're right there are two costumes designed in this issue one is a new Iron Man armor called the Dragon Slayer which is just got Cody Ziggler's name all over like if you are oh. a fan of him you know he loves his Gundam. Yeah, and... it, it's, yeah. I I was like in my head, I was like, oh, kind of Ultraman-y, mm-hmm. very like Tokusatsu, very anime, very manga. Yes, Gundam is is the vibe for it. It's really cool. Um, and then Miles gets a new suit. Yeah, it, it is a last page thing, but there are two variants mm-hmm. with it on it: a, a design variant by Vicentini and a great variant by Torin Clark. Um, I won't spoil it, but. Man, it looks great. Really, really cool. Also, shout out to letterer Corey Pettit. 200 issues of Miles Morales yeah. comics he's lettered. That's, That's awesome. amazing. Yeah. So incredible. Cool. All right. Next up is New Mutants Lethal Legion issue number four. And this is the thing I love about the X-Men and the New Mutants in particular, because we get this young team that are working through their feelings. And as we followed uh, both Escapade and Sarabella. Uh, throughout this series we know that they have like these feelings but this is like the first issue where we get a little bit more of like a complexity to it like cerebella is talking to uh, mirage about how she feels about you know escapade and it's kind of an interesting twist i wasn't expecting this and for that i'm going to go ahead and give my never let your doctor date your ex award to charlie jane anders also sorry the real villain MVP of this book uh, because she's the only one that can get anything done, Moonstone, because all the other villains are just so dumb. And the fact that she's singing from the HMS Pinafore the entire issue is just like chef's kiss. All right, uh, on to Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 35 at this week. Uh, we get to see here the Bounty Hunters Guild Social Club, which is like the Star Wars bar with no name. Uh, we get two Kowakian monkey lizards in a knife fight, which are Salacious Crumb, like his race. I love that. Dirge is in this issue. I know the kids love Dirge, but I'm going to give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex award to the just the big giant fight between all the Bounty Hunters and Boba Fett that takes place in this issue. You know Boba Fett's in the issue? And you get a big fight. It delivers. Next up is Star Wars The Mandalorian Season 2, Issue Number 1. This is the premiere of the second season. Um, and it pretty much retells that same episode's story. So, you know who I'm going to give my award to, right? I'm going to give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to Cobb Vance. Because he comes in this book just strolling along with that same bounty hunter that you just mentioned, Armor. Like, it's no big deal. Yeah. On to Venom number 21. Great issue this week. It is a very dark and funny issue. It's like really, it's it's wild. Uh, but the I will, ah, there's so many things in here. Bedlam and Eddie and their whole thing. Uh, Bedlam does a, how about them apples 
bit in here, which cracked me up. Pere Perez comes in to do a really wonderful sequence outside of the Cafu pages set in like, sort of the main universe. I'm going to give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to the second page, second and third pages, which is a two page splash where they fight, where Eddie and Bedlam just get into it. And in all caps in red and yellow, right in the middle of the page, it just says, fight. And it's like, that's our tone. And then they're literally punching pieces off of each other. Let's freaking go. Yes. All right. Last but not least is X-Force issue number 41. This also could have been a pick of the week. Mm -hmm. But this book, there's so much that happens in this book. There's a lot of time traveling. There's a lot of characters that come into play. Some of the highlights, Deadpool, Quentin, Old Man, Quentin Choir, amazing. But the thing I'm going to give my Never Let Your Doctor Date Your Ex Award to is the setup of this book. Because I thought it was one of the smartest things I've ever seen in one of these in a comic book in terms of time traveling and in terms of the stuff that the Beast has been doing. Because it opens up with the Beast essentially hiding clones of himself throughout the world. But how does he do it to ensure that it survives, you know, as long as possible, he hides them in like world, like monuments. He puts one in the pyramids of Giza. He puts one in, you know, the Colosseum of Rome. He puts one in uh, Stonehenge. And it's just such a smart and clever way. Uh, and it's totally something that the Beast would do because he's calculative. He's, he's calculating, you know, where's the few places on earth that are just going to go untouched? And it's going to be these places. They're the ho- the most highly secured places in the world. And we're going to keep them forever as long as we can. So I, like that is just like the genius of Ben Percy. So for that, he gets my award. Heck freaking yeah. So good. All right. Uh, those were the new issues out this week. There's a bunch of great collections out this week. Check your local retailer for those. Uh, we also have a ton of new Infinity Comics. X-Men Unlimited gets a new arc written and drawn by Jason Lowe. we got more Madrox and Strong Guy this week. We've got the finale of Rick Jones's Locker and Avengers Unlimited. Uh, another issue, Edge of Venomverse. Marvel's Voices, Runaways, Infinity Comic uh, number 58 is new this week. We've got uh, a new arc of Love Unlimited with Captain Marvel War Machine by Sean McKeever, uh, Lorenzo Susi, and Pete Pantazis. And we've got Strange Tales Secret Invasion Infinity Comic, a one-shot perfectly timed for Marvel Studios' Secret Invasion, streaming now on Disney+. Plus. This issue is by Jim Zub, Ramon Box, and Antonio Fabella. Oh, and of course, Low Rocket number so four. So good. Have you been reading mm-hmm. it? It's really cute. Uh, yeah, it's very, very cute. Love it. Um, Also hitting Marvel Unlimited this week is Hellcat issue number one, which I highly, highly recommend you read it. Uh, But before you do that, I highly recommend you check out the Iron Man and Hellcat uh, annual issue number one that came out right before it. Um, That should already be on Marvel Unlimited because it is pretty much the setup to the rest of the series. Uh, We also have Immortal X-Men issue number two, uh, Miles Morales issue number four, and Secret Invasion issue number five, which is the last issue of that miniseries. Heck yeah. All right. All those comics, they done. Let's get into our reading club. All right, Jasmine, I'll be honest. I'm not sure how much I'm going to get in here because I know this is going to be a big time combo so space for you because we're going to talk about Viv Vision with our guest, Marika Nykamp. Hello, Marika. Hi. So glad to be here. Hey, Marika. Just to elaborate on what Ryan was just talking about, uh, I am maybe Vivision's number one fan. Uh, I only have one tattoo uh, that I recently got, and it is Vivision's logo. 
I love that. That is amazing. She is my absolute favorite ever since the Vision Tom King series uh, from earlier in the 2010s. Wow. Feels like it's been forever ago. <laughs> uh, but I, I just love everything that she stands for. And I'm really excited to talk to you about the story that you brought us because you brought us the Love Unlimited Infinity Comics uh, that star Viv Vision. Uh, it's issues number seven through 12. And it is pretty much like one, a heist, and two, a rom-com. Like both of my two favorite things. Marika, before we get started, uh, can, can I ask you what your preferred pronouns are? Um, my pronouns are uh, she, her, the, and they, them. Um, I'm usually happy with any and all pronouns, but those are the two I use primarily. Great. I'm really excited to talk about Vivision with you because uh, one of the things that I love about Vivision is that, like, to me, she is such a, and I think this goes for like a lot of different androids in fiction. They can stand in for a lot of different metaphors. I mean, she is queer yeah, and someone who's, you know, trying to be accepted in her identity and her body. And I feel like you also explored some of that in this short series. So I'm excited to, to get into all of that. I'm super excited. <laughs> in, in just like thinking about this chat, I was thinking about her champions arc and it's just... It's so good. It's such a lovely, like, character trying to find out who she is and trying to find out how to human. And it's, I just love her so much. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, not only just how to human, but like the nuances of humanity, right? Yeah. Like she immediately gets hit with all of these different, like, identities that are thrusted upon her. And yeah. like, She's just like, I'm just trying to figure out how to be human. Now I need to figure out how to be a teenager, a girl, a queer woman. Like, yeah. there's so much going on here. Uh, I'm curious, like, what was your first, like, I guess, introduction to Vivision? Um, it was it was actually Champions. Um, and then I went back and, and read Vision uh, series because obviously that's amazing. But yeah, I was just, I was going through one of those periods where I was just like, I, I want superhero teams. And obviously as someone who writes for teens a lot, um, teen superhero teams are <laughs> particularly good. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I, I read Champions and I was like, oh, I like this character. And I like, I think one of the things that I love about Viv, um, as you were saying too, Jasmine, is that like there's so much about her that, that resonates with like being marginalized in in one way or another and trying to sort of navigate that and trying to figure out like how to you know be who you are and how to be what other people expect you to be and and um sort of what the, the happy medium in between those two is i think she does such an amazing job of showing like this of not really understanding the world that she is sort of thrust in and and still trying to figure out how to um you know how to find her way and how to be everything that she wants to be and everything that she feels she is. America, you you mentioned, you know, write a lot for teens. What is it that appeals to you about writing about teens um, or, or for teens, like uh, obviously that's a very broad scope because you can tell <laughs> any kind of story in the sort of quote unquote YA space. But what is it that appeals to you about playing in, in those types of spaces? Teenage years are such like formative years in the sense that like everything is not quite new. Like you've already had like a few years of, of life experience, but 
there's so much of figuring out who you are as a person and so many first experiences, so many like first true heartaches, first true like, like falling in love for many people. Um, presumably, I'm very ace. I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, but like there's so many firsts and so many formative firsts too. Um, that it's a very, for me, a very interesting space to to tell stories in, and to like they can be pretty raw and they can be pretty unflinching. There are so many elements about writing romance and in in this particular case, writing rom com that just really appeal to me and also terrify me. Especially in my novels, I tend to skew more towards like the more intense thriller darker type subjects that aren't necessarily, you know, fun and funny. But there is something about writing flirty banter, um, which is, you know, it's fun to flirt with people, even if you're not like super serious about it. I like, you know, just the sense of this feels like a very specific queer experience. And I don't know what that's like for, um, you know, cishet people. Um, but like, there's this sense about, at least in my experience, about going to uh, queer communities, being in, within queer communities where just, you know, having fun and, and, and having, um, fun connections with each other without it being immediately super sexual, super romantic, just having those, those like banter moments is, is very much this, um, very much creates a sense of, you know, a, a shared language, a safe space, a, a, a comfortable place to be in. And that's something that I really enjoy like exploring in, in these types of stories too, in, in Viv's, um, you know, her, her being very flustered around a pretty girl and, like, there are still elements that I, you know, recognize to some extent, but also elements that I just really like exploring and really like, you know, playing with on the page, um, even though they're not like completely my experiences. I care a lot about writing representation, like writing experiences that I share, um, because, you know, there, there's still a, a dearth of, you know, queer representation in fiction um so i try to be aware of that i try to put pieces of myself into stories because you know i miss that growing up as a reader so i can sort of reach out to readers now and be like hey this is this is part of the world too and and this is, let me let me just hold up a mirror to you or let me like reflect pieces of of my experiences of your experiences and and maybe you know make this a bit more welcoming space for all of us but like that's not all that I do as a creator and mm -hmm. I like trying on different stories too and and writing occasionally writing even writing straight people it doesn't happen a lot but it happens um, <laughs> boring straight people I mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah you have to have like a few tokens his heads yeah obviously <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of the beauty of, of fiction on both sides of the fence when whether you're the the person who's enjoying it or the person who's creating it, you have that ability to experience all these things, whether they are connected to you on a deeper level, which is something I think we need more of. And I, I appreciate that you're doing that for, for people who are in the communities that you associate with, or you want to escape and experience something different. You want to see something different. You want to learn about something. You want to see something through someone else's eyes. It's really important. I, anytime someone's like, 
well, that's not me. I don't want to read that. You know, like, well, stop that. Let me tell you about the first 30 years of my life <laughs> and all the media that yeah, was produced. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Enjoy that there's something for everyone, but also yeah. try something that's not for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Like the world is is so full of stories and and so full of like experiences and worldviews that I will never have or share. And and like it's amazing to be able to access bits and pieces of that through fiction. At least that's how I feel about it. So yeah, I would definitely just recommend reading widely and and reading outside of your comfort zone on occasion because that's that's where the fun is at on that note i'm curious like what you read as a kid like were you picking up comics as a child yeah yeah i we had a very small it's slightly bigger now it's very small local library with an even smaller comic section uh (laughs) it's just like two shelves i've been there yep (laughs) i love libraries yep so I, you know, I used to go to the library on a weekly basis and, and just like take out this gigantic stack of books and, and, you know, read them all and um, swap them out for other titles the next week. Um, and I, you know, read everything from just, you know, children's books to fantasy to, God, I think legal thrillers for a while. Like at some point, I've read all the all the children's and teen books in the library, so I just had to branch out and figure out what was next, and I wasn't sure what that was yet. Uh, so lots of historical fiction, but also definitely pretty much all the uh, all the comics in the library, and that was a you know eclectic collection of because um, like. I'm I'm Dutch. I grew up in the Netherlands, so it was a collection of French and Belgian comics, so like the very traditional European style comics and um, some superhero comics. Weirdly, quite a lot of Elf Quest. Mm. Still, kind of curious how that happened specifically. Like the if there was someone there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I feel like there there was there was a geeky librarian somewhere who was like Elf Quest. That's all what, of that, it. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, a lot of Prince Valiance, which, you know, was one of those things that got translated to Dutch. And I was super into night stories, so Arthurian stories, night stories, things like that. So I ended up, you know, reading reading all of those, um, collecting them for a while, and that's sort of how I stumbled into, you know, the, the, the wild world of, um, of comics. Okay. I want to get into Love Unlimited. Before we do that, I have a very important question for both of you. Mm. Chocolate chip or oatmeal cookies? (laughs) For me, there's no question. I could eat chocolate chip cookies every day, all day long. If I had one right now, I would be eating it on this podcast. Agreed. I, I think that there should only be one cookie and it should be Oreos. But since Oreos are not in this in this argument it should be chocolate chip cookies yeah. i'm going to i'm going to disagree there um, oh no I'm, I'm oatmeal all the way and honestly part of that is i can't eat chocolate um oh. <laughs> it gives me really bad migraines so oh, okay. like, there's a, there's a good reason why but like i also just really like oatmeal cookies i'm i'm that person who will eat everything that remains so that you, you can all eat the chocolate uh chocolate versions <laughs> okay 
for you at home listening, if you're wondering why we're asking that, it's because it is a central question of Love Unlimited Vivision. Just kidding. It's not the central question, but it is an ongoing <laughs> gag, which I adored. Um, and it is a, essentially a gag that is shared between uh, Viv Vision and CJ, who is the love interest in this book. Um, they meet online. Uh, and the setup of the book is essentially like Viv Vision is, she meets CJ online. She's talking to her friend, Anka, AKA Snowguard. And She's telling her, hey, I met this girl. I really like her, but she's ne- we've never met in person. And I'm kind of afraid because I she doesn't really know me. She doesn't really know the real me. The direct quote is, she's under the impression that I am a normal teenage girl. And I think that the way that that was written uh, in the first issue of that is very telling. It's not, I'm afraid that she's going to meet me and be like, oh my God, Android. It's that I'm not a normal girl. And that line resonated with me. Um, eventually they meet and they meet under the guise. Like she puts on her like human, like facing, I guess like image inducing type yeah. power. And I love the way that Federico Sibantini like draws her in this version because she gives her like two pigtails, but two strands that are like highlights, one green, one pink to kind of like give her the vivision accent. And the two together decide to break into Roxxon, although Vivision might disagree with that, uh, with the wording. And uh, they are trying to save their community from being essentially destroyed by Roxxon because they are trying to enforce this like drone law enforcement plan into the wild. And it includes a lot of robot dogs, a lot of like flying drones that can shoot lasers, which is terrifying. <sighs> But at its core, it's very much like trying to save this community, trying to save a space that is, you know, home to a lot of, like a second home to a lot of queer folk, which I thought was really cool. But also just like CJ's home uh, and her family's home. And so not only are we trying to break in and save the day, but also Viv is doing it without revealing who she really is. And I'm curious, where did this like idea come from? I think the main part of of where this this actually is, came from um the the last few issues of of champions where they're sort of figuring out what it means to be like a hero in the community what it means to do what it means to you know do good and 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 um like be a champion essentially and um i i took that element it was like well Obviously, this is this is how far we've come at this point. Um, if nothing changes, what would Viv do in terms of you know taking taking that sense of okay to be a champion is to is to stand up for the people around you, is to stand up for your community, is to you know keep the people you love safe. Um, so like, if if that's sort of her her starting point, like how would you how would she implement that and I figured uh, Viv being Viv, she would, you know, not immediately go out into the world herself, but sort of want to get as much information as possible about, well, if, if you know, I need to, I need to protect these places, what is actually happening in those communities? Like, how do I more or less get boots on the ground and, and get a sense of all the, uh, like, all the sort of 
elements and 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 pick everything that's happening there all the all the things people are worried about all the potential dangers all the potential you know ways to to make uh make those communities better and that's you know that for me all of this is almost none of this shows up on the page but this is the backstory in my head and that's how she meets cj because cj is very much like active in her community she's very in touch with what's happening around her um she's very sometimes to a to a slightly dangerous extent um (laughs) happy to do whatever it takes to um keep her community safe so there's there's all these these elements that overlap between what viv is trying to do and what cj in her own way is already doing and I feel like that's sort of the point where they intersected at some point online. And Viv was like, well, you know, keep me up to date. If there's, just tell me about what's going on. Obviously not in those, not, not necessarily in those words, but, you know, tell me about the things that are of interest to you. And, and she would try to seem like, like that normal teenage girl, um, try to pretend, pretend to be her, um, to, you know, keep, keep that steady flow of information going. And there's another part of that too, where Viv is just continuously, and I think this is such a through line in her entire comics arc so far, is that she's continuously trying to figure out how to be more, not even necessarily more human, but that's that's definitely an element of it, but also more comfortable in her own skin, more comfortable being Viv um, and not like having to apologize for who she is or having to alter herself to to fit other people's expectations. So there's this sense too of just not just figuring out what's happening in the community, but also figuring out like how how do people around me, how do they work? <laughs> Why do they make the choices they make? Like what what motivates them? How do they respond to certain situations? So there's this 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 element of, you know, kind of almost is this weird type of small spy network and this element of huh humans interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah because at one time she she even says to Amka like this is just part of my like research like I yeah. am part of my like street level like team yeah and it's just yeah, like is it, it is it really <laughs> <laughs> definitely that's all there is to it <laughs> But yes, like she obviously had had that the whole situation too with, with her falling in love with Riri, um, Ironheart, and going about that not entirely the right way. I sort of took all of that and was like, well, how would she try to bounce back from that? How would she try to learn from that? Because that's something that I, as an autistic person, did for a long time. It's just like trying to, you know, read people, trying to read situations and one of the reasons why reading books is so amazing too it's just trying to understand okay well if if you know i mess up in this scenario how do i change that how do i improve that how you know how do how do normal how do regular people go from a to b and and why is that different for me and you know different in that sense obviously it doesn't necessarily mean wrong or worse or anything like that but i feel like fifth is very much struggling with with still trying to figure out if different is good or if different is, you know, is allowed to be different. And these are all elements that, that sort of help her figure that out. Yeah. I think it's really helpful here to have Amka 
on her side. And I really love the fact that we get the text conversations throughout yes. between Viv and Amka. Those are so good. And like, we're all, we all by the end of the arc become Amka. Like, they're like, what's going on? How, you know, th- that's so cute. Oh my God. Uh, you know, like we're having those same reactions. I really dug the crap out of all of that. I'm so glad you brought up the formatting because there's two things that happen. The texting is just wonderful throughout. I think that it just works well for the format and the medium because we're reading it on our devices. Like I read it on my phone, right? I don't know if you read it on mm-hmm. your phone or on your iPad, but it just felt way more intimate mm-hmm. when I read it on my phone because of those text exchanges. And it felt like I was just scrolling through a, a chat. I I really like, I love writing texts, messages, story through those, those like, weird tidbits of formatting but like it's such a fun way and such a like easy very accessible way to to tell you know not just part of the story but especially get that relationship across and i think that that's like amka is just such a fun um fun character to you know sort of balance fifth out because like fifth starts out the, the first issue moping um, essentially, and and she's, you know, Amka's that person, and we all need friends like that who just calls her out on her nonsense and is like, "Oh no, that's that's what's happening. You're, you know, you should go out into the world. You should go have, have see her and have fun, and, and instead of sit in your bedroom and, you know, mope." So um, there's that that fun balance too between. Fifth could be a very introspective character and she needs people. And and that's one of the reasons why I think she clicks with CJ so well too. She needs people to sort of draw her out of her own headspace on occasion and and having Amka in the back as, you know, occasionally able to offer good advice and occasionally just be there to, you know, poke her and be like, do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. (laughs) Um, I think that's a, that's a very, healthy relationship and also something that I think all of us like we all have friends like that and we all need friends like that I want to get to the pride issue in your story there because I think it's important that we talk about that one as well and I, I love Gwen Poole, so we're going to definitely talk about it but I, as we get to the end of this this story I think one of the, the things that we hit is that like obviously you know as they're breaking into into Roxxon, they get into trouble and Viv Vision has to reveal herself. So she has to like essentially out herself. And I love the moment where we first see that. And like, rather than CJ being like shocked or like, I mean, she is shocked, but she's not shocked because she's like, oh my God, you're not quote unquote a real girl. It's like, you're a champion. Like you're Viv Vision. Yeah. Like she is absolutely like stunned. Like, I feel like that would be the hardest part of this book to write is like the coming out part of it. How did you decide on the way that that would happen in this book? Well, I knew going in that I didn't want CJ to react negatively um, because I feel like that wouldn't be in line with, you know, her characterization as as I spent uh, like the time of those issues with her. But also, like, I didn't want fifth to sort of be in a position where she had to deal with you know not being accepted because that's such a strong part of her emotional journey and her figuring out like what she wants to do and where she wants to go and and she's dealt with 
lack of acceptance either from people around her or like at times from herself a lot so i didn't want to add to that i just wanted it wanted this to be a sort of positive experience and also show that she has nothing to be ashamed about she shouldn't have to feel lesser she's she's like an amazing character in her own right and and the fact that she isn't that normal teenage girl doesn't make her any lesser um it it just means that she's she's with and she's you know perfect um so i wanted to have that that sense of her being allowed to be who she who she is without jumping through any additional hurdles because occasionally those stories like are obviously important too and and they serve a purpose but occasionally you also just want especially with queer characters you just want them to have it a little easier at times i think that there is a there's a strength in that too i think the flip side of that too is not just cj's reaction but also like the way she eventually reveals herself is is by letting go of the things that she worries about and that felt like such a natural moment and like she realizes that being there with cj is so important to her that somewhere along the way this has become not just you know research and not just this this person she knows online but this is the girl she definitely has a crush on and this is the closest thing she's ever gotten to a date and and Roxanne is getting in the way um <laughs> and she realizes that that's important to her and that's why the revealing herself is even necessarily a completely conscious thing but choosing herself definitely was i think the thing that you're also kind of hitting on is like they bring the best out in each other like CJ even says it. She says, you make me feel like it's okay to be weird and ambitious. And at the end of the book, she calls her, like, extraordinary. Um, yeah. And just such a sweet, sweet ending. I loved it. Oh, I just, I love them so much. It's been such a joy to see them pop up in other Love Unlimited stories. It's been so good to be like, yeah, this is... They were they were so easy to write to together, and obviously Frederico did did an amazing job bringing them to life, and and I think that that's one of the reasons why I like the text too. Like the tiny little icons of of Viv and of Amka and of CJ were just just perfect. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's this. I really wanted them to have like a happy. I'm not sure if relationship is is exactly the right word yet this early on. But there's so much potential and there's so much joy. And like you said, they bring out the best in each other. And I just wanted to to celebrate that. Which is good. We need those stories. We talk about that a lot here on the show, even in just our regular weekly comics. We need those happy endings, those moments, because our characters go through so much. There's so much trauma. There's so much you know, fighting that they have to do. There's so much saving the world, whatever it is that when we see these moments, few and far between sometimes, they mean so much. So it's great to have that. It's also, we had that a little bit uh, as we shift gears before we wrap up to talk about Gwenpool, you know, Gwenpool and, and her story in Love Unlimited and finding 
more about herself and finding a level of happiness there that she didn't have before, which is such a great story. And that leads into your story in Marvel's Voices Pride. Um, I, I don't know that we've had any characters who've come out as asexual previously. And so that must have been something exciting for you to see. Yeah. Obviously, I, I worked on the uh, the story for, for Marvel's Voices Pride before the entire Love Unlimited run was out. So I got to read that early and it was just such a fun, empowering story of self-discovery and figuring out like, again, I, very, very alike with Viv's arc. It was very much about like Gwenpool figuring out that she was allowed to be who she was. And who and and that she's you know discovering exactly what that means now, and and being able to write like a a follow up to that arc and just have it be this fun pride celebration with a lot of a lot of cameos and a lot of also reflecting on again the importance of of celebrating who you are and and finding joy in those moments and finding joy in community finding joy in um you know comfort um of, of being who you are is is just it, this was this was such a like that story came together i sat down and i i wrote it without like even having to think about it much because it just like all of the pieces clicked together and and pablo did an amazing job um creating the uh the art for it and it's just it's it's so joyful and it's it has some of the panels I'm most proud of in my entire comics career so far. Wow. Just because awesome. it was this this moment of being able to um you know look at readers um and specifically ace readers and be like hey this is for you too and this is it's it's oh, who you are is perfect and and is is you're absolutely wonderful and this little piece of the celebrations, this little piece of the universe is exactly, is, is, is specifically for you. And that, like, I needed someone to tell me that um, when I was younger, specifically, when I was figuring out, like, how to deal with that and being able to have Gwenpool say this and being able to have that in a Marvel comic was just, like, so incredibly meaningful to me. Uh, I'm not going to choke up. Well, I am a bit, but you know, having having that moment was just like, yeah, this is this is why I do what I do. And I think especially in like we live in 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 hard times, and it's not an easy time to be queer or trans. Um, and we need those moments of joy, and we need those moments of celebration, and we need those reminders that you're allowed to be exactly who you are. And a lot of people will try to take that away from you. But they're wrong. <laughs> like be proud and and joyful and like I firmly believe in joy as a form of resistance. And that's like this this story was just me throwing all of that at the script. Like, well, you know what? Going to be loud and proud and joyful about it. That's awesome. That seems like a great place to end our conversation. Thank you once again, Marika. This was tremendous. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Big thanks once again to Marika Nykamp for coming on the show. So grateful for that. Also, Ryan, I just yeah. want to let you know, mm. from the minute that you sent Ultimate Invasion issue number oh, yeah. two to about now, 
<laughs> I finished it and holy uh, right? Amazing. Yeah. I know. Look, I'm trying to like tamp it down a little bit. So you just get ultimate invasion number one and hold on to your butts. That's it for this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us over at pullist at marvel.com. You can also reach us on Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag Marvel's Pull List and hashtag okay to read Pull List. Uh, make sure to rate and subscribe and give us those five stars, please. Yeah. Tell a friend. Heck yeah, please do. For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash pull list quote rules, terms and conditions apply open to U.S. residents 18 and up. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only terms apply. Visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer the Marvel's pull list quote of the week. It's a good thing we speed that all up and you don't just like say it really, really fast. I've always wanted to be the, the micro machines guy. I'm Ryan. I used to actually have to do that in a previous job. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. It's not fun. <laughs>